Hello and welcome to the Middlesex County Cricket League podcast. My name is Dan Huff from Twickenham CC. Um, very pleased to be with you today with two um, t- two cricket badgers of very different types. I think. Um, first up, my um, my usual partner in crime, Salman Ali from North London. Hi, Sal. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Dan. You're just happy that we've actually completed one whole year of the podcast. So, looking forward to our special podcast today to celebrate that. Yeah, it is a year, isn't it? You're right. 20, 20 odd episodes. Is that right? Twenty three episodes. Yeah, I, did I, I think it's number twenty five. I think now actually. Decent. De- well, I say decent. That's an awful lot of hot air that we've been uh, coming out, <laughs> yeah. isn't it, over the last few months? But there we go. Um, and also really pleased to be able to to mention um, former international cricketer, Test cricketer, ODI cricketer, current Middlesex coach, uh, Stuart Law. Hi, Stuart. How are you? Dan Sell. Um, very well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, really pleased that you, you could make it, actually. I mean, I'm looking out my window and it's absolutely caning it down outside. The, the last <laughs> thing in in the world on any any normal person's mind will be cricket actually because none is going to be played here where, where are you Stu? i assume you're in the uk right i am in the uk i, I live here now um we moved over about two and a half nearly three years ago now so um yeah basically moved back um how could i not want to move back from australia to to england as sample the, the perfect <laughs> british weather um but yeah no i'm in london at the moment um i've got a got a couple of meetings this week so um just planning for uh Middlesex's, um, you know, pre-season and season going forward. Super, super. Just going to kick off, Joe. I mean, I was looking around at your, your career. I, I note that you're the most successful captain ever in Australian domestic cricket. I presume you were aware of that. Um, yeah, I have been. I have been made aware of it. Um, it hurts a lot of the New South Welshmen when uh, you mention that a Queenslander is the most successful, but. It is there is a there is a stipulation to it. I'm the most successful since the inception of the final um, that was brought in to you know work out the the winner of the competition um, at the end of the season. So ever since the final was introduced, I am the I am the most successful captain. So New South Wales said no. There would have been captains before that won it for you know 15 years on the trot because there was no other team other than New South Wales. Um, but that was back in the 1900s. Um, I played a little bit later than that, mate. <laughs> and if, what's five Sheffield Shields then? Is it? Is that right? That you managed to captain Queensland to? to yeah, and the big the big one the big one was after 69 years of trying uh, the first ever Sheffield Shield, uh, the five day tournament that is, um, or the four day tournament, um, culminating in a five day final, similar to the Bob Willis Trophy this year. Um, yeah. Captured five of those and two one-day trophies as well in a in a ten-year period. That is decent. So that is a decent. Very, effort. very, very proud of it. Very proud to be the first captain to to win the shield for Queensland, and you know it still sits pretty pretty high on the list of achievements that I I got to. Um, I was lucky enough to to gain, and um, we still celebrate it as a team uh, every year, uh, as typical Queenslanders do. We don't let go of things too easily, um, and we get together, we celebrate with a massive lunch at the Gabba, and. Um, drink a few beers and tell a few lies and reminisce about the good old days. That sounds like Twickenham CC on a Saturday night, although we're not talking about <laughs> Sheffield Shield pictures. You know, every cricket club in the country should be like that, I think. That's exactly the way it should be. Um, but where did it all begin, though, Stu? I mean, most of our, our listeners will know plenty about your, you know, your, your achievements in the game, but where, where did it all begin? Where, where, what's your first memories of playing cricket? Uh, well, basically, I was born with a cricket bat in my hand. Um, my grandfather's, my uncle's, my, my father. Uh, we're all very good cricketers. Um, 
so I, I, had, I had no real um, no real choice to be honest. But um, yeah, I was born with a cricket bat in my hand, um, and it got to when I was about five years of, years of age. My grandfather, before the war too, was a pretty handy tennis player, um, and I don't know whether this was just you know embellished quite a lot or whether it was actual fact that um, if it hadn't have been for the war, he would have played Davis Cup tennis for Australia. Um, so pretty pretty handy with a with a bat, pretty handy with a leg spin delivery and with the bat as well. Um, uh, sorry, tennis racket. Um, he, he took me outside my mum and dad's house one afternoon when I was, you know, five years old and said, right, here's a cricket bat, here's a tennis racket, put him up against the back fence in the yard and looked at me and said, right, pick one, I'll teach you how to play it. Um, and Buffhead me picked the cricket bat <laughs> for some reason. Um, <laughs> but I just wanted I just wanted to play cricket ever since I, I could walk, ever since I could, you know, breathe. I, I wanted to play cricket for Australia and, you know, it, uh, it was a long, long, and still going, a long love affair with the game of cricket. Um, so that's where it all began, mate, in the backyard at, in uh, Stafford Heights in Brisbane City and, you know, um, things moved on from then. Fantastic. And, and I mean, Queensland, I always, I, I am for my sins, a rugby league fan. So, of course, you know, one of the great sporting occasions yeah. in the world is the state of origin. I mean, it's just a fantastic tournament. So, so rugby league ever on the agenda or, or, or not really? Um, rugby league, yeah. I played rugby league at, uh, when, when I was at school, um, summertime was cricket, uh, wintertime was rugby league. Um, there was no really other, no real other sports. AFL was big, but only in the southern states at this particular time. And um, it was only just starting to trickle up up north. Um, so it was rugby league. And, mate, so I learned from a very young age that I wasn't very good at rugby league. Um, you know, I played in, out in the centres. I remember trying to tackle the, the opposition centre. I was only a little kid when I was at school. And this kid looked like, you know, he'd been shaving for about six months and, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> built like a you know brick shithouse uh, out, out the back yeah. of the old house. Um he ran at me. I thought, no, you can go straight through, son. Um, and after that <laughs> afternoon, I realised um, cricket cricket was probably more my speed and um, where I was uh, probably going to make more of a fist of it. But um, I still got a deep passion for, for rugby league. I, I sit down, I'm, I'm watching the NRL at the moment, um, you know, coming up to the finals yeah. series, the grand final in a couple of weeks' time, and then the state of origin on after that. So uh, I'll be getting my maroon jersey on, mates, and uh, cheering the boys on. Fantastic. I mean, one of the things I always wonder is, are there any people from Queensland who would support New South Wales and vice versa? Because I've never got close to meeting anyone from either of those states who's, <laughs> who's committed that act of betrayal. Yeah, I, I don't think so. There's been many of my – I've got a, one of my best mates back home. He came from New South Wales to play cricket for Queensland, and at that time he was a New South Wales supporter. But uh, it took about 10 years, but we finally got him putting a maroon jumper on and supporting the uh, the banana benders. So um, – much to the disgust of his old man, we um, we got him cheering for Queensland. That's about the only one I know of, though, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sal, bring us back to sanity. Um, you wanted to come in on, on Stu's test career, right? Yeah, so Stu, obviously you had a fantastic um, first-class career playing for Queensland, loads of runs, year in, year out. And unfortunately, you was in that sort of golden era of Patson, wasn't you, when Australia had, obviously, these guys who were scoring runs week in, week out, the Wars, the Boons, the Taylors, etc. But he did manage to get one test. And obviously, um, people don't know, you actually haven't got an average because he scored 54 not out, <laughs> having replaced Steve War. What was your recollection of that test match itself? Sri Lanka was against, wasn't it? It was against Sri Lanka. Um, you know, it's every – it was my dream to, to you know, we get taken the mickey out of the Aussies, you know, for, you know, saying – talking about the baggy green cap. 
Um, I think even now Shane Warne started to take the mickey out of the Aussies for talking about the baggy green. But, um, you know, I, it was an emotional time. Um, always wanted to play cricket for Australia, play test cricket for Australia. Um, and the moment arrived, you know, you this day and age is a bit different. Um, you get the cap presentations, you, you get all the, the, the bells and whistles that goes with it. Um, I remember getting selected, um, having a chat to the chairman of selectors, Trevor Holmes, at the time. He said, mate, yep, pack your bags, you're off to Perth, you're going to play in the first test. Steve War's injured, um, make it difficult for us to drop you. And I thought, okay, no worries, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, the next day, a, a cardboard box, you know, a big cardboard box turns up on your doorstep with all your, your playing kit in it. Um, I took out the shirts, uh, the jumpers, um, hats and whatever, and there right at the bottom of this cardboard box was my baggy green. So that's how I got delivered my baggy green cap. Um, there wasn't any, you know, celebration or um, speech from an ex-player um, inviting you or welcome you into the the family. You know, the long journey, the hard work's paid off. No, there it was, stuck at the bottom of a cardboard box, mate. So, boarded the plane. Um, you know, we 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 bowled first. I remember that bowling Sri Lanka out for two hundred and thirty, and then we batted. Uh, I came in at a crisis. We were well four for <laughs> four hundred and fifty or something like that. Um, with I managed to uh, you know, put on a partnership with Ricky Ponting, um, who was also on debut. And I think, um, you know, me being fifty-four not out, I'd rather have been given out LBW when it hit me in the in the in the chest. But um, as Ricky was on ninety-six, which heartbreaking for him, um, I did my best to try and turn my back on the dressing room when uh, Ricky's wicket was given. Being fifty-four not out the other end, and I thought, geez, you know, here's my chance to to bat on and. Score 100 on my debut, bad luck, Rick, move over. I've got a chance. And Mark Taylor you know, pulled up stumps and said, that's it. Uh, we're declaring. Um, and the other thing is, mate, um, we won with a day to spare. So if you had to give me another hour and a half, I would have got there. But anyway, that's another story, mate. Very proud to have played cricket for Australia. People say I should have played a hell of a lot more. Um, at times, I probably didn't score the runs at the right time, uh, having scored plenty anyway. Um, didn't score runs at the right time. When selections were up for uh, up for review, and you know other people got the nod, a lot of lot of conspiracy theories going on, and you know I've had a few as well. But mate, all I can say is very proud and very pleased that you know I got to represent my country and you know play as well as I could. You are aware though, Stu, if you, if you'd have scored fifty four not eight for one of the England sides in the mid nineteen nineties, you, you're not just kept your place; you'd have probably been captain. You know, the standard of some of our batting in that period, you, you know, no matter whether those conspiracy theories are true or not, you, you know, you're clearly a bit unlucky there, aren't you? That's that's just I guess well, if, the way. Yeah, it goes. if I'd have been if I had been playing for Australia nowadays and got 54 not out, I'd be almost captain. So um, that's the way it, <laughs> that's the way it goes, mate. The you know the game's moved on, the game's changed completely, the selection process is completely you know different. Some say it's you know it's moved forward, others say it hasn't moved anywhere. It's probably gone backwards. If, if anything, um, but you know the the two the two teams England I think are ahead at the moment of Australia in the way they they go about their cricket. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to the next Ashes series. Should be a should be an absolute cracker. I think it will. I mean, from an as an outsider looking in, I don't know about you, Sal, but I think our bowlers look a bit Australian, uh, a bit more Australian than they do English at times. And and, and I'll be really interested to see how some of these quicker boys go on the the Australian wickets. Is that is that how you see it, Jim? Yeah, I do. I mean, Australia held the, they, they they held the Ashes at the moment, and you know they had a bit of a redemption theme going. You know, after Cape Town 
the incident in Cape Town and what have you. But, mate, to be honest, um, you know, I think the teams are very, very evenly matched. Um, Australia came over and played really well and, you know, probably, probably deserved to win that series in the Ashes. Um, and, look, I, I agree with you. Mark Wood, you know, now that he's he's become more of a permanent fixture around the test side and Joffre Archer, obviously, with his pace, um, when he when he wants to bowl quick, he, he bowls very quick. Um, Mark Wood doesn't have, you know, he's got nothing in between flat out um, and none. Uh, there's nothing there. So, um, you know, he's he's super quick. Ben Stokes, I think, is the is the key for England. Once he you know, gets fully fit and ready to go, um, you know, cut, throw those three guys into a team, add, you know, either Anderson or Broad, and you've got a pretty steady set, steady team. Chris Wokes has done nothing wrong either. He's become very, very dependable. And, you know, if they can coach Adil Rashid out of white ball cricket back into red ball cricket, I think they've got a pretty, pretty handy attack there. And their batting's mm. not far away, you know. Um, I, I don't know what you guys think, but, you know, even me just sitting around watching cricket, Ben Folks, you know, plays for Surrey. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Um, he's, he's played only a handful of test matches. First test match, got 100 on Deboe and man of, the, man of the match, man of the series in Sri Lanka, and hasn't been seen since. So I, I, I just think either he, people just don't see what other people see in that kid or... He must be one hell of a horrible person, but I've met him, <laughs> or I've spoken to him, and he he seems like an absolute champion. So I, I don't know what that kid's got to do, um, other than just you know keep his head down and score runs. But my God, he's if he's not the best keeper in the country, um, keep a batsman in the country. Well, I'll, I'll I'll hold my hands up, eat my hat, do whatever you want to do, do it because <laughs> yeah. he, he should he should be playing. Well, you know the line. The line is about the batting, isn't it? Or at least it looks that way from where I am. And, and I saw a 90-second clip of him on Twitter playing a T20 innings earlier this year. And, I, it, you know, it, it could have been Josh Butler. He was smashing it everywhere. And the boy can bat. Uh, and I don't know. doesn't add up to me. Well, I get the change, um, the, the mindset in white, white ball cricket. I get that. He probably hasn't got the power that, you know, the Butlers and the Bearstows have got. I understand that. But he should be the test, test keeper. Um, mm. I, I think that a lot of... A lot of, you know, Adam Gilchrist has got a lot to answer for, hasn't he? You know, he's, he's ruined it for the modern-day <laughs> cricketer. Yep. Um, you know, if you don't average 45-plus as a keeper, you're, you're not very good. Um, yeah, that was – we're all trying to find the next – well, England is still trying to find the next Ian Botham. You'll never find another Ian Botham. Um, you'll ne- we'll, Australia will never find another Shane Warne. Um, they're once-in-a-generation cricketer. Adam Gilchrist is the same. You know, if you're not picking your best keeper – you're going to struggle to win games of cricket, particularly in the longer format when, you know, tiredness comes in on the last last couple of days and day three, day four is when you really put the foot on the throat. If a catch goes down and miss stumping, run out, whatever it might be, your keeper's not on top. You know, and the runs that he scores would be invaluable. Um, you know, you're going to lose a lot of games of cricket. So, mate, Ben, folks, mate, he's, he's obviously done he's something done. wrong. He's got... He's done something wrong to selectors or captain or whatever it is because I think I'm not the only one. There's a few guys around the world thinking he should be playing every game of Test cricket for, for England. Yep. But, and I think that's that's certainly what Sal and I have, have, have heard and talked about over the over the years. The best keeper often doesn't seem to get the gig anymore and, and you do wonder what he makes of it all. Um, I was going to ask you, Sal, one trivia question for you. Obviously, Stu played the one game. How many other players do you reckon have played one game of Test cricket? I think he might be the only one, actually. Could be a good quiz question for anyone who wants to put Chris together. I'm sure Stu is the only player that I know of who's played 
um, one test and actually not had an average, which he currently holds at the moment. Yes, that's right. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think I think that there's not many done that. But in terms of one one test match, there's there's 451. So that's a hell of a lot of people, right? I guess the it's game's been around good. a fair few years, but but I, I was going to guess at 100, 150 maybe. It's 451. Did, were you aware of that, Stu? Probably not. You've got more of a life. No, I guess. Mate, mate, no idea. I had no idea about how many guys had played one test. I was, you know, I can't imagine there were too many guys as, well, as filthy as I was about only playing one, but there's 450 of them. <laughs> yep. You're not alone. Although, as, as Sal says, not. I, I think you, you know. You know, there's got to be no more than a handful who've got um, who've got no average. That's that's a great great add-on to that. But moving forward, I was going to ask you about the coaching. So, was it a seamless transition? Did Did you always know that coaching was going to be the next step, or did you sort of just stumble into it? Uh, I basically stumbled into it. Um, you know, playing my, my, having played 14 seasons of county cricket. Um, you know, got to play with and against some some great great players from around the world and. Um, you know, play with a great Matai Murali Duran up in up at Lancashire. Um, and when I'd finished uh, my my cricket at Lancs uh, in two thousand and uh, two thousand and eight, um, I, I, John Morris gave me a call and said, "Look, I need you to come in and do a job for me at Derby here." I, I said, "Look, mate, I'm gone. I, I can't play anymore, mate. I haven't done a preseason. I'll be nowhere for you." He goes, "No, I don't. It's not about." You know your your runs or your work on the field. It's about helping these young kids develop and blah blah blah. And I went, look, mate, I can't just come in in February, March, and then you know start it. He goes, no, no, I really need your help. So I went down and and thought, he, he, I went down and said, okay, Johnny, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you three months. I signed a white ball contract. Ended up playing two four day games, which ended up being a big mistake. But anyway, from there, I realised after the second game of four-day cricket that I shouldn't be here. Um, I Basically, my body had switched off. Um, I wasn't putting in the, the, the amount of time and the amount of effort I needed to to produce the cricket. So I knew that time was at the end. Um, Murley gave me a call out of the blue and just said, look, our, uh, Paul Farbrace it was, our uh, assistant coach has left the team. Um, it was just after they got shot at in in Lahore. Um, so Paul Fabro said, "Shrapnel on the forearm," and said, "That's it. I'm out. Not going back to to coach Sri Lanka." And it was a two year period up leading up to a, a World Cup in 2011. Uh, Murley said, "Would you like the job, assistant coach? I'll have a word to Trevor Bayliss, who was the head coach." I said, "Yeah, mate. Okay, fair enough. Sounds sounds great." Um, so. Trevor Bayliss gave me a call and said, look, mate, we'd, we'd really like you to come on board. Um, talk, to, talk to the board at Sri Lanka and sort your deal out. And I went, okay, no worries. So I'm, I'm actually about to sign a, a contract with Middlesex at the time to become their batting coach. So this is in 2009. Um, and I just walked out of the office after agreeing with Gus Fraser that, you know, I'll be doing, you know, how many ever days it was through, throughout the year. And the car on the way home, I get the call from Trevor Baylor saying, look, we want you to come. So I ring Gus straight away and say, look, mate, I've been offered to go and coach Sri Lanka two years into a World Cup, working with some of the best players under one of the best coaches. And he goes, mate, don't worry about it. You go and enjoy. We'll, we'll try and hook up again later, funny enough. And that's, that's now happened as well. So you could say I stumbled into it. Um, it's good knowing good people in the right places at the right time, um, but also – what a what a great learning experience going to live in a different culture 
work in a different culture under one of the best coaches, um, you know, in the world, uh, and to look after some of the greatest players, you know, working closely with guys like Sangakara, Mahela Jaya Wardner, Lasith Malinga, Murley. Um, you know, I thought I didn't really understand it at the moment, at that time, but you know, looking back, it was a it was a great way to start, and you know, learn a lot about you know how to deal with different different characters, different people. Um, the language barrier was one. They understood English. I didn't understand a word of singular. Um, and when they got angry, they spoke in their their native tongue and kept you right out of the <laughs> right out of the picture. So, mm-hmm. you know, you had to you had to learn very quickly. But all in all, I can say that uh, falling into a job and you know growing to love it uh, over the last 10, 11 years has been uh, it's been quite a journey. So glad it's uh, glad it's one I, I I took on and you know accepted the challenge and. You know, I haven't done it easy through my coaching career. I've gone to some far out places, some you know different cultures, and thoroughly enjoyed every every second of it. Made some great friends. And I was I was going to ask about the next step because I mean Bangladesh would probably be a different set of challenges, right? Now, I mean, I spent a little bit of time in Bangladesh a few years back, and um, Bangladesh is a cricket mad country. Bangladesh should have won a cricket World Cup, right? Bangladesh, you know, everything about Bangladesh is their cricket mad. And yet, it's not quite gone that way over the last twenty years, has it? I mean, what was your experience of leading leading a team that represents a country that's so besotted with the game? Yeah, mate, you're one hundred percent right. They should have won uh, with a population of one hundred and sixty-two million. Um, you know, there, there's enough talent in that part of the world. Um, you know, there's there's other factors that contribute to you know the way that they're brought up, um, their their physiques, their their body compositions, um, you know, a lot of them mal- malnutritioned. Um, they haven't got the clean drinking water that we take for granted walking up to a tap here. Um, so, look, they, they, they do struggle. Um, even even the really wealthy out there still have the same same issues that, sure, you know, the people yeah. who are, you know, poverty-stricken um, have with without the clean water and, you know, lack of food at times or the right foods um, to, to build a – a high-performing athlete, but you know they they have got so much talent, and I think people misconstrue you know talent um, and brute strength. You know everyone sees a talented cricketer this day and age. You can hit a ball for six twenty rows back. And that's not necessarily the case. You know it's not that doesn't mean you're talented. That means you you can hit a ball a long way. These guys, you know, they played a different game. They had to play a smart game, and you know they they were still. Turning up to games of cricket, um, you know, really in awe of the opposition. Um, Pakistan was we called them the big brother, you know, because everyone looked up to the Pakistan team. If you're in Bangladesh, you know, Shahid Afridi is a king or a god in in Bangladesh. Um, not not just in cricket, but in in general life, because you know they just look up to the Pakistanis. Um, you know, every time we played Pakistan, it was all like yes sir, no sir, three bags full, and you know that was a that was a mindset and a a challenge we had to, you know, put in front of the players. So look, no, don't don't worry about that. They're just as frightened of you playing playing a game of cricket. Get out there and show them how you can play. Go and enjoy your game of cricket. Don't worry about what they're doing, or don't worry about who's bowling the ball. Um, you know, and they, they they embrace that. And I think from from that moment, I was there in two thousand and twelve, and I think from that moment, they've really you know started to think we can beat we can beat any opposition now, and that's the way they should think because. Mate, there's so much, so much talent over there. I've been to tournaments there where they played four teams uh, from Bangladesh to in a trial 
series to to pick a squad of you know fifteen for a for a one day or a, or a test match series. So that's four teams, and it's very hard to pick the 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 four batters or the sorry the six batsmen and the the four bowlers and, and the wicketkeeper. You know who it, it, it's just very hard to to drag blokes because um, they're all very closely closely matched. So you know, hopefully in in years to come, you know they they start showing. Uh, real progress and you know with the the advent of um you know they you're seeing Shakib Alassane playing in the IPL um Mushfiq Rahim should be playing in the IPL uh once those guys start you know getting that sort of accolade and the young kids coming through realize their potentials Jesus they, they, there's the sky's a limit for them really um and they they're really well run the board is People would think they'd be a shambles, but no, it's not. They, they're really, really well run as a board as well. They're, um, they've got some very smart cookies in behind the scene. And as I say, it's not about brute strength there, cricket. It's about, you know, being smarter than the opposition. And they've got to do things differently, um, both on and off the field. And I reckon they've got good people in good places. So, look, it was it was great fun. I, I really enjoyed my time. You know, Dakar was confronting um, as, as a place to live. Uh, <laughs> confronting. I like, I, that. I, I, I like that. Yeah. yeah. I had, to, right. I had to live there for twelve months. Um, you know, one of my worst experiences was you know, I lived in a you know the top floor apartment in a building, and I remember one night waking up in the middle of the night, um, you know, pooing my pants because the bed was shaking like it. There was some bloke standing at the bottom of the thing shaking it, and it was a bloody earthquake. You know, the fans banging, if <laughs> um, fan to, uh, side to side, banging on the ceiling. I didn't know what was going on, and you know, not long after that. There was another earthquake, and you know, a building collapsed, and it killed thirty thousand workers. So, you know, yeah, to live in yeah. places like that, um, to get up and walk the streets where well, you're not really supposed to, but get up and walk the streets um, was it was eye opening, and it was great fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Fantastic. I mean, I, I could talk about Bangladesh for hours, but I won't. We should bring it a bit closer to home. Of course, you've been in post at uh, Middlesex for a couple of years now. And Sal, you had a couple of questions on that, didn't you? Yeah, sure. So actually, just before we carry on at that point, we did have a guy from Tower Hamlets on to do a couple of weeks back who spoke about the passion within their club. And that's interesting to see, you know, what you said about Bangladesh itself as a country. It seems to marry in and tie in what he was saying about their club. So it's obviously being replicated mm. in this country as well, which is good, good to hear because obviously there's abundance of talent available, isn't there? So, you know, hopefully uh, one of these Tower Hamlets guys could potentially become a player. Who knows in the future? Um, I want to yeah, ask sure. actually about, yeah, about your sort of winter plans for your players and what what does it what does it winter entail for a coach of a, of a county side? And also, just want to ask a question. I mean, obviously, you played grey cricket back in back in Australia, and um, we all know over here how strong grey cricket, the quality of it. We know whenever an overseas player arrives in our league, for instance, they do tend to be of a very high quality if they come from Sydney grade or one of the other grades in Australia. Do you encourage mm. your players to go abroad and sort of get some experience during the winter playing grade cricket? And is that something that you organise, or do they, do they set that up themselves? No, nah, look, they they they're pretty well connected these days. Our boys, um, you know, we 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 do encourage them to go away and play. I'm a big believer that you don't learn cricket by you know playing in the nets and you know having sterile bowling machine batting sessions. You actually learn how to score runs in difficult situations by out there scoring runs in difficult situations. There's no people say you've got to replicate you know match conditions and match situations at training. You, you can never do that. Um, one hundred percent. 
Um, so we encourage our players to go away. Um, we, we devise a plan for them before they leave. Um, at the end of each season, we sit down with every player individually and we go through, you know, the season that's just happened. Um, and, you know, we pick out points that, you know, we as a coaching group, we think that they need to, you know, really take care on and um, understand uh, that they need to improve in certain areas. And then, um, you know, physically they need to present very well come the, the time that they, if they do go away and they come back, they've got to be back for March 1. Um, if they don't present in a, in a state that, um, you know, where we find acceptable um, and our S&C guys will, you know, make sure those targets are hit. Um, and if they're not, well, they've got some questions to answer and that might be, a, you know, a, a rap on the knuckles or a, a fine out of there, you know, take some money off and that, that always hurts a lot more than um, anything else. So, you know, we do. We do take great care. Um, you know, cricket's become such a, a big business now and, you know, uh, it, it's, it's results-based. Um, you know, looking back over the last couple of years, Middlesex, we probably haven't achieved what uh, the talent in the room should have achieved. Um, for whatever reason, um, so we'll we'll let our players. You know, we we basically give them October off after a big season. We give them off, um, you know, to to rest and recover. Those that need operations will get them done now, and their recovery will start in November. Um, so they can be ready to go do, doing cricket in January, February. Um, so that's basically that's basically it right now. We're we're different, Middlesex, um, in the sense that we don't have a training ground. We don't have somewhere to call our own. We don't have our own ground. We don't have our own dressing rooms. Um, so we can't just turn up one morning on a Monday, leave our kit in our locker, leave it all there, um, go home, come back the next day, and it's all still there. We, we're nomadic. So we, we've got to make do with what we've got at the moment. And you know, we probably have one, two, three, sometimes four training bases where we need to be at at different times. And, you know, to, to choreograph, <laughs> To be the choreographer of that is quite difficult um, to make it work. But one thing we do have, we've got a pretty resilient and you know hardworking staff that understand these predicaments. And you know we've now made a pact that you know other coaches, other systems have come in and said that you know this isn't good enough. Um, I'm out. How do you expect us to perform? But look, it's it's it was great for it was okay for the teams in yesteryear to go out and win championships and. You know, very proud history at Middlesex. Um, I, I see no reason why – that can't be the reason why we're not playing good cricket is because we're not training um, at a ground during wintertime. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of things that we can do to to get ready to play cricket, and that's all you've got to do. And the, the bottom line is playing better cricket out on the out in the middle on a, you know, Saturday afternoon come April right through the end of September. That's what really counts. Whether they do that by going away, or they stay here, and fitness starts in a uh, couple of weeks' time. Ninth of November, the boys are reporting back to they get smashed for seven weeks straight. So it's not a not a particularly nice time of the year. Um, it's okay for the coaching stuff. We get to sit there and watch most of it, um, uh, and, and obviously add a bit of hand of encouragement here and there. But um, that's where we're at at the moment. We we've just got to sit down. We, I'm, I'm down for meetings this week. We've got to work out. You know our pre-season plan. Once we understand what Boris has given us um, today, um, what we can and can't do, how many gr- how many in a group, and uh, at what venue we're we're allowed to do it at. So um, at the moment we're we're up in the air, but we have a we have a plan 
that we we will stick to. Um, we just got to find places where we can go and uh, do our bits and pieces. Well, best of luck in trying to interpret the government's advice on that, Stuart. If you can, do let us all know because because we haven't got a clue either what we're supposed to be doing. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, best of luck there. I, I was going to ask you about the summer because I'm, I'm guessing that you've got a long run into this, haven't you? As you say, before Christmas, you do X, Y, Z. January, February, it becomes something else. But once the cricket starts, it must be mayhem, right? You, you've got different tournaments. You've got some that are four days. You've got some that are about five minutes long. Um you know, different cricket, different coloured balls. How, how do you get preparation right for that when it must all hit you at once, really, right? Yeah, it does. I, I think at times we ourselves, you know, we make more of it than what it actually is. You know, yeah, you play with different coloured cricket balls, but it's still a bloody cricket ball. Um, just changes colour. Um, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm a big believer. Yeah. I'm a big believer, mate. Your best players are your best players and, and they'll adapt to the different formats. Yeah, you might have to teach, you know, some players different shots to, A, keep everyone happy because they, they need to be, you know, showing that they can do something different. But I'd rather see players just concentrate, our players just concentrate on the basics, doing them, do the basics better than everyone else. If we did the basics, we're, we're a bloody good cricket team. It's when we try and get away from the basics and try and, you know, take the game to another level is when we, you know, fall down and, I, I, that's not just Middlesex. I reckon that's that's games around well, players around the world. Um, you know, I'm sure you've been watching the IPL recently, and you know, there's there's batters in there who are, who are trying to play every shot before they actually get started. Um, yeah, yep. I have one thing in, in in our T20 stuff with our boys. I said, if you want to play a reverse sweep, that's great. I'm happy for you to do it. Get to 30 first before you do it. You know, make sure you score on your runs first. Do the t- do what the team needs, and then you know you can expand on that once you get the opportunity. Um, you know, four-day cricket, you know, we, we, we just want our players to bat, you know, 100 balls. You know, those basics, if we do them, you know, we if a batsman bats 100 balls, we, we're winning games, you know, because our bowling attack will will take wickets no matter what. Um, so, mate, that's, that's basically it. I, I, I don't like to think that, you know, you need a different technique for red ball, different technique for white ball. You need to change certain things, but it's not a drastic measure like changing a technique. It's just changing your mental attitude and your tempo. It's all it is. You you got to score at a faster yeah. rate the the less overs you got. Um, if you're keeping it very simple like that, it's very very hard to get cluttered uh, and very easy to stay clear. And once you're clear in the mind, um, you perform you know very very well. That's really interesting. I have to say. I mean, I guess in the, if in doubt, it's sea ball, hip ball. Doesn't matter what form of the game it is, right? And, and I suppose that's a good message for all cricketers at all levels. If, if you're struggling a bit, then keep to the basics because you can control them a bit more. Yeah, I, I like yeah, the sound of that a lot. We're always, we're always telling our guys, you know, your job as a batsman is not to survive. Your job is to score runs. So find, find, it, find the best way you can to score runs. That doesn't mean you've got to score them all in you know, 25 minutes. You, know, you might, might take five and a half hours to score your runs, but... Just find a way to score runs. You know, go out there, be positive. Um, once you're positive in attitude, you you leave the ball better when four-day cricket. You, your feet move better. And once your feet are moving, you, you're able to score runs in, you know, in pretty good time. So it is, it's just basics. You know, I, I just, I don't coach, you know, I'm, I'm happy for the guys to go and play the reverse sweeps and the, the scoops and all the rest of it. I'm happy to see all that. But it's not going to win you too many games of cricket. Um, you know, the basics will win you more games of cricket. Do your basics right, mm. then you can 
in a four-day game, I've said to our players, you, you get 150, you can play any shot you like, and I won't, I won't shout, I won't do anything. Play any shot you like once you get to 150. You know, so the, the option, the, the opportunity's there to do it in a game. Just got to do what the team needs first. Once the team's in a good spot, you know, it either, we can't lose, go and play any shot you like. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, Sal, did you want to come in there? Yeah, so we'll move on to actually it's due to the actual league itself, the M2CDL, which obviously podcast is about. Um, this year, the league did a fantastic job in getting lots of cricket played eventually, you know, from a season that looked like May end with no games at all. We had a full season, oh, sorry, we had a, um, a league season take place with winners and losers at the end of it. And what was positive this year, I think, was the amount of players from Middlesex who actually turned out for the club this year, which was excellent. Um, I remember watching yeah. a T20 game, and there was, I think there were six players playing who turned out for, for their clubs this season. So it's excellent to see that. There's a couple of questions on this. I mean, in terms of player allocation, um, what's the kind of decision process behind where they go to in terms of their club-wise and how much cricket they actually play for their clubs as well? And I just want to ask you another question, just move on from that as well, when you get opportunity, will be about, are there, what kind of what sort of feedback do you have, what systems do you have in place regarding the league itself? So do you have people watching games or do you get reports from players who are not signed potentially who could maybe sit through the net and become, you know, part of the academy, for instance, or potentially even join the first half, the first team sort of playing squad? Is there any sort of systems in place you have for that? Um, yeah, right, getting back to your first point, um, I'm, I'm desperately keen for our players to buy back into club cricket, um, mainly because uh, it, it teaches you, well, for me, the leagues, uh, we call it club cricket back in Australia. Um, they're the... They're the teams, they're the games that gave you the opportunity to represent the the you know the state or the the county that you you're now representing. So you need to give back to them. Uh, number one, whether it's you know a, a bowler going back and playing as a batsman, which we had a few guys do that this year. Um, that's not my um, restrictions on them. That's that's medical. That's coming from above. That's coming from the ECB. So we do have to adhere to that. Um, plus. You know, we don't really want a bowler running in bowling 25 overs on a Saturday afternoon or, you know, 10 overs um, on a slightly damp pitch and tearing a hamstring if there's a, a game coming up starting on the, the Monday or the Tuesday. So that's they're the reasons why players play, but there are some restrictions on them. Um, I'm encouraging everyone to participate in club cricket if they're not involved with the Middlesex first team. Um, the only way that they won't will be a, a medical reason or uh, a reason that I give saying that we need to rest these guys for these matches coming up. So they're the, they're the protocols that are put in place. Um, you know, I think that, you know, our players have been very well received when they have gone back um, to playing club cricket. I think the one thing that we can do, uh, and I need to talk to um, the, the Middlesex League committee or people who are in charge that, I think from now on, we can't allocate players. I don't think allocation of players is right. Um, I'd rather see our players play for the club that they're nearest to where they live. Um, and if they are, they're more, they're more inclined to buy into what the club's trying to achieve, um, and not just through the summer months, but also through the winter months. And I think that just sets a, a better standard um, of grade cricket. If you have four players playing at the one club and, and you're playing against the club the next week with no one, what a great opportunity for that club with no, you know, pro cricketer there to go and beat a team full of pros. I remember turning up playing, you know, club cricket against 
opposition that had three test players in it. You know, and I was a 15, 16-year-old kid playing against test players. And you think, how good's this? I'm, I'm competing against – well, Norman Cowans came out and played and I was 16-year-old and mm-hmm. I remember batting against Norman Cowans. Um, you know, Middlesex lad, of course. Yeah. Middlesex lad, yeah. Mm-hmm. Came out and played in Brisbane, played for Western Suburbs, yeah. so I was at Bally's and I was lucky enough to make 100 against him. I remember batting in a cap. I couldn't – old man didn't didn't buy me a helmet. That's what my, that's what my bat was for apparently. So um, I remember batting <laughs> in A-grade cricket with, with a cap as a 16-year-old, pulling and hooking the great Norman Cowan. So we, everyone, it should just be an opportunity. So people who say, oh, look, you can't play him because they've got two pros and he's a, we've only got one and we need another one in here, that's got to stop. You know, I think if, if you're fair income about running your club um, and you have a, a great club culture, you have a, a ground that promotes good cricket um, and decent people around, obviously, People will come and play, you know. So I just don't, I just don't think the allocation works because you might get a guy, one of the players who lives in, say, Finchley, playing for Richmond, um, and if he's if he's travelled back on Thursday, um, you know, he's been in been in training on Friday, missed out on a game, and then has to get in his car and drive forty five minutes to an hour and a half. I know it sounds petty to the to the league cricketer. I know it sounds petty, but if it's only a 10-minute drive or a 20-minute a drive rather than a 45-minute to an hour and a half. Anything in London could, could happen. You know, it could be a two-hour trip for, you know, a normal normal trip. Um, you know, players are going to be less likely to want to play. And if someone turns up and they don't want to play, that it's it's a car crash waiting to happen. So, you know, I'm, I'm all for, you know, play, playing our players, but I think we just need to let them, you know, choose their club. Um, and some guys have been playing at a club for a long time, and then all of a sudden next year they're they're playing at somewhere else. And you know that's that's not that's not what club cricket should be. You should be there playing with your mates, having fun, and you know winning games of cricket for that for that club. And if you if you're still in promotion relegation, if your team gets uh, you know relegated, go and play for that club the following year and try and get them back in into the top flight. Try and get them promoted. Don't just jump well, ship Steve, and play in another first yeah, Steve, first Steve division Plays with Stanmore and, and uh, you know Stanmore not in the top flight this year, so yeah. um, you know he didn't. So that that's a great example of that, isn't it? I mean, for the record, um, the best beers at Twickenham. So if any of the players are persuaded by such <laughs> things, then I guarantee you we'll get them the best beer at Twickenham. I'm sure that's high up your list of criteria for allocating players as well. Um, well, it's not about it's really not about the beer, mate. It's not about the beer. It's about drinking the beer after and discussing cricket. It's not about just beer. Okay, but I, I can live with that. A too. good beer does help. <laughs> <laughs> totally understand I think that's really interesting and I think that goes against the um, in terms of what you said about allocations there'll be a fair few people in the league who, who don't like hearing that um, and I, I think um, I, I suspect you're well aware of that but I think that ultimately you've got to have open conversations about these things and know where you stand so hopefully anyone listening to this pod will will know where Middlesex is and we'll, we'll move forward with that because it's great having these players playing as you say you know the challenge of scoring you know, scoring 50 runs when Steve Finn's coming at you. I mean, you know, what a challenge. You've got mm. 125 test, test wickets, for crying out loud. You know, what a great day that would be if you scored 50 against him. So, yeah, I, I can hear the line on that one. Yeah, and that's, that's, the way, that's the way the club's got to look at it. You know, don't look at it as a, it's a negative. What a challenge. What a great opportunity. And it just promotes, promotes better cricket in, in, the, in the region, you know. And if, if the, 
board, uh, the committee don't agree with it and don't like it and say, no, we're not doing that, we're going to relegation. Well, the, the easy option is then to say, okay, well, no Middlesex player will be able to play. And that's not what, that's not what we want either. You know, we don't want that. We want, we want our players playing league cricket, but we want them to play at the club that they choose rather than being told they've got to play somewhere else. So we've got to listen to the players. Um, we've got to come to some sort of compromise and, you know, be man enough to move on with it. Yep. No, I hear you. I mean, I think that's going to be an ongoing, an ongoing conversation, but, but they all are really on these conversations. They're always ongoing. Um, one other question I had about the league. Is there any, any advice you'd give players who are, who've got a bit of ability? They're looking at Cracknell. They're looking at some of the young guys who've come through in the last few years. What, what sort of yep. things would you say to them? Say, obviously, keep going, keep scoring your runs, keep taking your wickets. But is there anything in particular you'd advise them? Yeah, be 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 a great human. Um, you know, don't don't um, don't just come in and play cricket and think that that's going to be enough. You know, look at your character. You know, what can you do around the club? You, you mentioned guys like Joe Cracknell, Ethan Bamber, uh, Luke Holman. They all play at the same club. Um, yep. and you've got Max Harris as well, who's who's in our academy. Um, and they're down, they're down helping the club out. Luke Holman goes down and rolls the rolls the pitch. You know, Joe Cracknell does the same. Ethan Bamber, you know, they're they're always down the club helping. You know, the club uh, in some way, whether it's you know painting a sight screen or you know cleaning out the sheds or whatever it might be. Um, they're down there doing that. Um, so young kids, you know, it's not just about scoring runs and taking wickets. Um, and scoring runs, by the way, too, isn't scoring 40 and thinking you should be playing international cricket. Let's start scoring hundreds. Joe Cracknell yep. scored a lot of runs last year in, in the league. Um, he got multiple hundreds. Uh, Luke Holman does it year in, year out. Uh, and if he's not getting hundreds, he's not out winning games of cricket. So that's why those guys stand out because they're, they're not only young uh, Middlesex boys, but they're also performing. Um, they're winning trophies. And, you know, if they're not winning trophies, they're, they're fighting hard to, to do so. So as a young kid, yeah, your, your dream might be to play international cricket. Um, not too many people get to do it. The ones that do are special, um, talent-wise, but more so they're, they're pretty good human beings. You know, they, they will do what the team needs. They will do what the club needs. Um, they'll go out of their way to help other people before they look after themselves. And, you know, if you're doing that, um, if you're looking after other people, you're looking after yourself, um, you know, everything's going to start, you know, climbing. Score your runs, take your wickets, win the games of cricket for your club. All of a sudden you start going up the ladder and I'd like to be able to think in five years' time that, you know, Middlesex Premier League, we can we can walk around and see a kid who scored, you know, 500s for the season, get him in and play second-term cricket the next year to give him an opportunity rather than, just wholly and solely rely on the the academy um, system, which is working brilliantly. It's producing all these young cricketers, um, but those guys who are 18 to 21-year-old who may have missed out on an opportunity, they're scoring big runs or taking wickets in league cricket. Um, hopefully they stand out and, you know, we can, uh, we can bring them in to give them an opportunity. Makes sense to me. Yeah, Sal, did you want to come in there? No, someone actually, I just want to actually just answer the questions to you. I was going to ask you about, you know, is there systems in place where you might look at sort of stats or look at look at guys who are scoring runs and taking wickets and they're not in the books of the sex and is there pathways? Obviously, you just mentioned that. So that's good to hear, actually, for people out there who may slip through the net for one reason or another and, you know, are still predominantly 
performing well week in, week out for the club. So that's a refreshing thing to hear, I'm sure, for players out there who, who are still budding cricketers who want to become, you know, first class players. So that's, that's very refreshing to hear. It's good. And, and so, I mean, you know, we got we got people, young men, they, they grow up different ages. Uh, you know, it sounds funny, but they mature at different, no, different right. times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some kids who are great at 12 years of age and they get into a system, this happens in Australia, um, and it happened pretty close to my heart, it happened to my son, you know, players get selected from the age of 12 and by, by 16 they're either playing AFL football or they're not even playing cricket. You know, so how do you know someone at 12 years of age is going to be the finished article come 16, 17, 18, you know, you don't know. You know, you've got to, if, and vice versa, if someone hasn't been recognised in age groups from 12 to 18, but 16 to 18, they're starting to come good, they're not involved in any program. How do you know? How do you know that they're not going to make it? So, you know, I think everyone's got to have an opportunity. Um, but the opportunities won't go to everybody, obviously. They'll go to the guys who are scoring hundreds winning games taking Fifers, winning games for their clubs. Um, and that's that's got to be it. Your currency as a batsman is runs. Your, your currency as a bowler is wickets and, um, you know, not many runs. They, that's your currency and that's what you've got to stick to. And guys who are doing that in years to come, um, I'm sure we'll, we'll stick, stick our head in and have a look. Sounds logical to me. Yeah. Yeah, Stu, we, we, this is fascinating stuff. We, we've gone on for, uh, getting on for 45 minutes now, but we always end our, um, our winter podcast with a quick fire round. Ten questions, um, deeply philosophical questions, as you're soon about to hear. Um, all, all I'll say <laughs> Yeah, is, I'll bet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You see where this is going. Um, no, all I'll say is the first answer you think of is the right answer. That, that, that's what all I'll say on this. Now, we've got, so we've got ten questions. I'll kick off. To be honest, I, I, I've sort of already, you've already answered this one and you've given the right answer as, as, as will become obvious when I ask the question. <laughs> Rugby league or that, that weird game where they just kick it out the ground and everyone claps. Union, <laughs> I think it's sometimes called. No. Sorry, legal union. Yeah, there's only one. Rugby league. Correct answer. Brilliant. We can move on. Sal. Stu, <laughs> favourite ground to play at or, or actually, you know, yeah, play actually. Um, the Gabba or the MCG? Oh, Gabba all day long. Gabba. No, I've got, I've got yeah. another question on that one. So the MCG, no, I've never been to Australia, I'll be honest. So I've never seen either of those grounds. But the MCG is clearly massive. On Boxing Day, the MCG, the Gabba still wins eight, does it? Or? Well, the Gabba always, will always win. Um, Melbourne and Victorians have a particular dislike for me. Uh, I remember warming mm. up at, on, the, on the boundary edge, uh, about to play a game for Australia and... These little so and sos on the other side of the fence. Hey, Law, your shit. So, um, no, oh, gabble nice. all day long, mate. Yeah, Fantastic. gabble all day long. <laughs> Great stuff. Number three, then. Um, IPL or Big Bash? Uh, Big Bash for me. Can I ask why it's a great tournament? I have to say, it's brilliant. I think they both go on far too long, but you know, look, I. I just I, I resonate better with the, uh, the Australian grounds, the Australian Australian players. Seems fair enough to me. Yeah, Sal, number four. Okay, so Stu, you've obviously played some big, big games and you know big occasions in your career. Um, I'm just trying to pick, pick out two moments which might have been quite nervy for you. So the first one was uh, World Cup semi final against West Indies when you were 15 for four and you're facing. Ambrose Bishop and Walsh on what was a bouncy track <laughs> or or making a day before Littleborough Cricket Club in Lancashire League? 
<laughs> so, think long um, and hard about this one, Stu. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I tell you what, um, playing representing Australia in a World Cup semi final, you might have think was daunting, but you know it's what I wanted to do. So, um, you know, to me, walking out at well, I walked out at three for seven. So I had a bit of the uh, you know, a bit of a shake and butterflies in the stomach, but walking out to bat for Littleborough on a on a sticky dog. Freezing cold up in the the the, the hills near Rochdale um, <laughs> against God knows whoever it was, um, knowing that if you didn't score fifty runs, take five wickets and, or sorry, a hundred runs in those days, five wickets and win the game, you you weren't very good according to the locals. Um, you're under more pressure up there, believe me. <laughs> the Lancashire leagues are brilliant, aren't they? They're a great institution. Oh, yeah, they are fantastic, mate. And some of the stories I could tell you about, you know, you you don't. You, I remember one year I scored more runs and took more wickets than the previous year, and we we didn't win a final. We didn't. We came second in the league and got knocked out in the semi. And I was the worst pro in the world. Um, and I'd, I'd score more <laughs> runs and taken more wickets than the year before when we won everything. So no, it's a very fickle, yeah. but um, great fun. I love it. I loved it. Still go up there every every opportunity now to catch up with the same blokes who are sitting in the same stools drinking the same beer. Hilarious. Marvelous. Great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, number five. Now, there's sort of two angles to this one, right? If you had to pick one of these bowlers to face, who would it be? And if you had to pick one of these bowlers to be on your team, who would it be? And you could probably guess which two bowlers I'm going to go for here. Shane Warne or Morelli? Um, well, it, de- it depends on where we're playing. If we're playing in, you know, playing in Australia, um, we didn't mind facing Shane Warne uh, in Sheffield Shield cricket. Uh, Murley in those days, no one knew which way it was going. Um, very hard to pick. Um, so it's a tough one, mate. Shane Warne's probably the best league spinner of all time. Um, Murley the highest wicket taker. Um, I'd say mm. play with Shane Warne um, purely because of his attacking mindset and never say die belief uh, and play against Murley because always a great challenge against the mystery of, uh, you know, the wrist spin which is supposed to be finger spin, but it's actually wrist spin. So play, play with Warney, play against Murley. And, and you did score a couple of tons against Murley in one match, right? Is that right? Yeah, I did. For Essex, two not out hundreds yeah. in the championship game. And it was funny. I'll tell you a story about that. We had a, um, we had a team meeting the night before, batting meeting, um, and the instructions from management was we've got to sweep everything. And I went, well, hang on, no. I've played international cricket against Murley. I've spoken to him. Don't ever sweep him. He wants you to sweep because he gets so much, uh, so many revolutions on the ball, so much overspin. It bounces so much playing at Old Trafford where a normal off spinner was hitting you in the chest. Um, so sweeping's pretty hard to do. I was the only one who didn't sweep Murley. I got two not out hundred, so I think I was pretty well right um, <laughs> not to follow the instructions of uh, the team management at that time. One nil law. Yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. Um, Sal? Okay, Stu, so myself and Dan have never experienced this, so we're open for invites next season if we get a full season in. Um, what's the, what's the favourite at Lord's? Lunch or tea? And we, we'll be happy oh, mate, either. seriously. Yeah. Jesus. Man, I, I would be too. Um, it depends on which day it is. Sometimes they have steak Saturday or steak Sunday, um, or Sunday's normally a roast as well. So, mate, look, any any meal at Lord's is special. Um Probably not good for, not conducive to playing good cricket afterwards. Um, more conducive to lying down on the couch and having a sleep. But um, no, nah, lunch has got to be. Everyone looks forward to a Lord's lunch. 
Just a really consistent message as well, Stu. Everybody we've asked about this has said that they're off the radar. They're brilliant. So, um, oh yeah, yeah, best yeah. in the world. Fantastic. We'll just, just book us in. We'll get us booked in one day. Hopefully, Dan. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Keep asking. We'll, we'll DM you, Stu. Yeah, we'll DM you. Yeah, yeah we'll be in touch. Yeah, we. Yeah, we might even uh, we might even pull out the the red wine for you too, mate. We'll ask a few oh, questions. I will be asleep. Yeah, <laughs> great stuff. <laughs> right, seven. We're getting towards the end. Don't worry. Um, which which one is higher in your list here? 110 in an ODI against Zimbabwe, or man of the match in the NatWest Trophy final for Essex? Oh, it's 110. Only my only international hundred yep. against you know pretty decent Zimbabwe side. You know Essex holds a great place in my heart, but. You know, first international hundred. Um, I got me yep. of the match in that game as well. So uh, got the chocolates in both, mate. So thank you. Superb. I mean, people forget, though, being serious. That Zimbabwe twenty years ago, serious outfit. East Street coming in off his long run, and all, and you know the flower, Andy Flower batting there. The, 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 these boys were serious players, and of course, it's easy yep. to forget the younger lads don't know this, do they? Because they they know a difference in Zimbabwe. No, that's right. Yeah, you know, Edo Brandis as well was a you know big rough Edo tough. Brandis, you know, yeah. Chicken, Chicken farmer. farmer who bowled fast, yeah. um, saw the light, mate, moved to Queensland. So he's a, he's a good bloke now. Um, but yeah, they, they, were, they, were, they were pretty good, mate. They were better than good. Yeah. They, beat, they beat a lot of teams they shouldn't have. And, you know, they, they punched well above their weight. So they were a good side. They were, they were bloody yeah. great that day too, mate. They were swinging them and seaming them everywhere. It was pretty oh, yeah. hard to bat. I'm sure they were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I remember well. They 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 are at a series. They beat England enough times. Crikey, I remember that. Yeah, so, they did. Yeah, they loved doing that. Yeah, <laughs> became a became a habit. Um, Sal, over mm. to you. Test you. Obviously, you mentioned you know many man of the match awards. You've scored hundreds. You've captained your your you know your state side to championships. But I think there's two awards that you've got which are pretty distinguished and amazing achievements of these two. Which one stands out the most for you? So you, I've heard you won medal of the order for Australia and. Yep. Also, we voted one year as Wisdom's five cricketers of the year. Which one of those two would you say, you know, holds a place in your heart the most? Wow! Oh. I have to say that's a, ph- a phenomenal hit list of of, of gongs. That's super impressive <laughs> stuff. Wow! Well, it was, it, was, it was actually weird. The the Order of Australia, which you know, I didn't really know too much about, to be honest. Um, you know, Queensland put me forward when I was overseas. So I didn't really know too much about it. Um, I knew a lot about the uh, the Wisdom. You know, cricket of the year, and to to be amongst your peers um, and being you know selected as one of the five best cricketers in the world that year was, I think that's pretty special to me. That's that's got to that's got to tip the boat or tip tip it uh, tip the scales in my favour that way. I'd go the uh, wisdom cricketer of the year. Who were the other four? Can you remember, Stuart, off the top of your head? Mate, I think it was. Um, I think Graham Thorpe was on it. Um, oh, okay. Might have been yeah. Maddie Maynard. Um, oh right, yeah. And two Matthew Australians, two, two Australians. Yep, one more. Matthew Elliott, uh, uh, Glenn McGrath. That's the one. Well done. Five yeah. out of five. Is that it? Oh, oh, oh okay. Yeah. That's Maybe first time I got top marks in any any sort of questions, mate. <laughs> yeah. Happy happy days. Super, super hit list <laughs> cricketers. Yeah, brilliant. Um, number nine. No, pretty proud to be amongst those guys. Yeah. Great stuff. Uh, number nine. Now, ch- changing it, changing it down a little bit. We we interviewed um, Luke Coleman and Joe Cracknell on on this pod. Or when was it? Sal? Mm. April time, maybe March, April. When, whenever it was yeah, in the winter. Like, yeah, around just around lockdown started. Yeah. Yeah, and it's pretty clear that, that you know that they're, 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 they're quite quite entertaining characters, um, and certainly they're known around the league as being quite entertaining <laughs> characters. So, w- w- which one's the bigger comedian in the dressing room, Holman or Cracknell, 
or are they still a bit young to really have found their way into that role? But I'm, I'm, I can't imagine they are. I mean, they, they seem to me to be quite up and at them and good guys. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're pretty shy around the the big boys, around okay. the, the number one team. But um, they they do offer plenty of humour, um, whether they like to or not. <laughs> um, but I'd say right now for either act of stupidity, un, unwittingly, <laughs> Very funny is Luke Holman. Marvellous. <laughs> That's the sloth we we call him at the moment. We call him the sloth. But no, wonderful, wonderful young man, and you know he's got a bright future ahead of him. So is Joey Cracknell. You know, love them both. They're they're bloody cracking young men, and you know a real a real um you know real privilege to actually see them get out there and play decent cricket this year. It's great, great to watch. Great. So, well, we're as you know jobbing. Jobbing sort of cricketers in the league, Sal and I are always, you know, really pleased to see see these young guys come through. It's it's really great for for us as well, but in a completely mm. different way. It's just you know very nice to see these guys make the progress that they have. Mm. No, it's it's ref- it's refreshing. Super, Sal. Last one, number ten. Yeah, and also just on that point quickly. Not only are they still giving back to the clubs, like you mentioned, Stu. They're actually both from state schools in London, which is quite a rare thing, really, these days for players to sort of come through and make it into the game. So, you know, they're definitely positive role models for any young player out there who's, you know, thinking of obviously becoming a cricketer. So, yeah, great, great shout. Amen. Amen. They, they're okay, good, so the good last, people there. They are. They're very great lads. As I said, we had them on the podcast. Great value. So the last one's actually not a simple answer. It's going to be a bit of a one for you to think about, a bit of a head scratcher. Um, so if you could sign any past player for Middlesex, who would it be? Ricky Ponting. Okay. And reasons? He's good. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's be- uh, well, he's better than good. Yeah, he um, is, absolutely. But he he scored runs in in tough conditions. He we're looking for character to you know puff their chest up. Um, look look forward to having a fight each afternoon and on the cricket field. You know, with a bat in hand, not fisty cuffs, but punter doesn't go too bad in that department either. Trust me. Um, no, just just for his sheer batsmanship, his the, the deep thinking and his toughness. We we need that. Uh, desperately, and you know, not not slagging off our boys, but if they had a role model like that to follow, I'm sure we'd we'd pick up a few uh, few extra runs here and there from everybody. But yeah, punter for me. You know what, as well, Stu. I mean, obviously, we, we, I you know we, we we watch a lot of cricket on, on Sky, Sal and I, and, and the various networks that show it. And and punter as a commentator, he is phenomenal. He gives value added all the time. And when um, the famous Stokes innings at Headingley. Punter's commentary on that day and his, his, his analysis of things that were happening right in front of him was was way beyond much mm. of the rest that we, we, we were listening. And it's not that Sky are bad, I don't think. I think they offer great commentary, but Punter was taking them up a level. And we don't hear Ricky Ponting comment that much in the UK, obviously, because he's based in Australia, but he, he was brilliant, I have to say. He was he was super. So great value added, um, you know, in yeah. in that sense. No, and the way the way he does think about it, he, he thinks about it completely differently to everybody else. And you know, he, he sees things happening. Um, you know, we, t- let's go back to rugby league. There was a guy called Wally Lewis played mm. years and years ago for Queensland. Um, what, probably the greatest player that's ever laced on a boot. They always said that he he could see what was happening four plays ahead of everybody else. Yep. And I think Ricky's the same. He, he can see things happening four balls ahead or four overs ahead. Um, you know, four sessions ahead. Um, he's he reads the game and understands the game that well. Um, you know he, he makes a he makes a good point every time he he opens his mouth, and when he does, people sit up and listen. Yeah. So now he's he was a champion. I was lucky enough to play with him. Um, you know, unfortunately, played against him a few times as well. He was he was a tough competitor, and 
really enjoyed um, you know what he brought to the table as as an outstanding cricketer and a, a, a great bloke as well. Yeah. Well, I think to give an example of that very quickly, fifteen runs away from victory uh, in that famous Test match at Headingley where Stokes batted so well. And one of the Aussie fast bowlers reviewed an LBW call that was never out. And I could see why he reviewed mm. it. He was desperate. But punter straight away said, what are you doing? That's an awful review. You might need that. And, of course, um, Lyon, mm. I think it was Lyon, absolutely had one that was stone dead. Yeah, Lyon got it. Wasn't given. No reviews left. Yep. And punter called it yep. 20 minutes earlier. Yep. Yeah. And I just thought that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's, the, that's the man, you know, and... Mind you, I think a lot of Australians were sitting there saying the same thing. What are you yeah, doing? Maybe, <laughs> but you know, in in the heat of the moment, you you do you do crazy things, and it was up to Tim Payne to you know make that final call. But there you go, Ricky got it right yep, again. Absolutely, didn't get too many calls wrong, actually, old, old punter. Oh, just a fantastic. I mean, you know, just 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 for, as an outsider, well, just the toss at edge bass, and I've got to say, in two thousand and five. <laughs> He got that wrong. You cannot get everything right. <laughs> Fair play to him. Brilliant stuff. No, as as Warney keeps reminding him, yeah. <laughs> Stu, we've we've overrun a bit here. We normally go for half an hour and well beyond that. But I think um, you know it's been great value. You, you, you've come up with a whole host of things that we may well pick up, up on in future podcasts. Um, all I'll say is, you know, I hope the winter goes well. Hope the boys uh, enjoy the the grueling weeks that it sounds like they've got ahead of them. And um, fingers crossed, we can play yeah. some proper cricket in twenty twenty one. And COVID's a thing of the past, eh? Yeah, amen. Look, I'm I'm looking forward to hopefully you know incident free pre season and you know getting crack into the season. I just hope that everyone out there listening is you know safe and well and you know let's let's kick this thing into touch very quickly so we can get on with a normal life again. I'm sick and tired of it, so let's do all we can to to get it right and start living properly. We are with you all the way, all the way. Um, Sal, anything you want to throw in at the very end? No, I just want to thank that, um, Stu for coming on. It's been a privilege having you on and some great insights into obviously your career and obviously what you're doing now and also the league itself. So I'm sure it make great listen. Actually, and a, and a big thank you to Bob Baxter for actually arranging this and putting Stu in touch with us. So yeah, cheers, Bob, and thanks again, Stuart. Great stuff. No, boys, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It's been good fun. Thank you. Been a pleasure, fellas. Thanks very much. Cheers, guys. See ya. Bye. Bye.